It's time to travel with Anita. From across town to around the world, she covers it all. Spanning the globe for more than four decades, Anita has been to over 100 countries and territories and is the host of the Lowell Thomas Bronze Award-winning podcast, Quarter Miles Travel. From load transportation fares to travel insurance concerns, safety to savings, Anita gets you there and back with a smile along the way. Now, here's the host of Travel with Anita, Anita Thomas. Hello, 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 and welcome aboard Travel with Anita and Friends. It's fall, y'all, and it's a great time to hit the road to check out some of those iconic places that we've all been waiting to see. But here's the thing. Each of our destinations today are not just good for fall travel. You'll want to keep them in mind for any time of the year because they're just that awesome. Today, I'm taking you to Nashville, Tennessee with author Tom Atkinson, who wrote the book, 100 Things to Do in Nashville, before you die. Now his book is loaded with everything you need to know to have the time of your life in the music city. I'll also take you to North Georgia where the list of things to do ranges from outdoor activities to delicious places where you can grab a southern plate. And author Karen Warren wrote the book on it. 100 things to do in the North Georgia mountains before you die. And later in the show we're going to go over to North Carolina with author Jason Fry. We'll also check out some destinations waiting for you to live the fun times while you're also learning, traveling with Road Scholar. And Kelsey Perry tells us all about it. But let's start with Tom telling us all the things to do in his book, 100 Things to Do in Nashville Before You Die. Nashville is one of my favorite places, and I know there are some things and places to go and things to see that are uniquely Nashville. So tell us a little bit about those. There are two that I always enjoy mentioning. Uh, one where I actually used to work, that is the Grand Ole Opry. That is the world's longest running radio show. It went on the air in 1925. So that means when 2025 rolls around, it's going to celebrate its centennial. You just absolutely need to see an Opry performance. Every show is different. Every lineup is different. It is America laid out for you. And number two, Nobody else has a full and complete replica of the Athenian Parthenon. In in our Centennial Park, there is an absolute one-to-one replica of the ancient Athenian temple of the Parthenon. And as I joke with people who have been fortunate enough to go to Greece, Nashville's Parthenon has a roof on it. (laughs) The one in Athens doesn't even have that. Yeah. So indeed, those the the Opry and the Parthenon are two extraordinarily distinctive aspects of Nashville. The purpose of the book is to get people out exploring. Autumn certainly is a good time to do that. What is it that's making Nashville become this go-to city? I mean, a lot of people think of it as being, you know, the country music capital of the U.S. The nickname for the city is Music City. And although country music takes the the lead oftentimes, there is much more music in Nashville than country. A lot of people know about the Ryman Auditorium, which was the home of the Grand Ole Opry for many years, for 40 years or so. Right next door to it, opened in the year 2000 or 2001, is the National Museum of African American Music. Nobody would think that that institution would be next door to the Grand Ole Opry's former home. 
but it is, and it is a fine institution. It explains how African-American black music has been a part of American history since the arrival of the first slave ships. Well, that, that's some pretty deep history because I think you're right that most people won't necessarily, not necessarily the music, but maybe uh, the Civil Rights Trail. That, yeah. is, that is definitely one to put on the list to, to go and visit. Yeah, well, just, just to stay on that, that civil rights note, a place that a whole lot of Nashvillians themselves don't know about is in our main public library, just a few blocks away from the honky-tonk zone. Um, there is a Nashville civil rights room devoted to what happened here in the 50s and 60s. And it is a powerful, powerful space. It's a place that will open your eyes. Nashville had an, a very interesting time through the 60s, largely influenced by a very organized group of, of effective advocates for change who were also effective advocates for nonviolence. That civil rights room in the Nashville Public Library is just absolutely one of the places to go see. Just down the hall from the civil rights room at the, at the library is another dedicated permanent space called Votes for Women. Many, many people, I, I would dare say the huge majority of, of Americans don't know that the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution that secured the right for women to vote was passed because Tennessee's legislature was the was the one that pushed the nationwide voting by state legislatures over the mark. And the really fun, weird story, that vote in which Tennessee approved the 19th Amendment and therefore put it into law was decided by one vote. Yes. And the real backstory is that the person who provided the breaking, who would have been the breaking or tie-breaking vote was going to vote against. And the morning of the vote, he got a letter from his mother. <laughs> and wow. mama said, I know you will do the right thing, son. And he voted to approve. You know, it's so interesting to look back on history like that and think about what if, you know, what if things had been different? You know, how would things today be? So that's oh. Oh, it, that 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 one to me just gives me chill for for something just at the other end of the spectrum, um, just for for pure entertainment. Nashville is very well known because it is such a songwriting city. Mm -hmm. There are numerous places to go and see where songwriters are showcasing their their work. Um, there's a club called the Bluebird Cafe that is very well known because of a television show. But there are other places in town, such as a club called Third and Lindsley, um, the Commodore Grill at the Holiday Inn in Midtown, um, a club called the Listening Room. And all of them are places where anybody can go in and sit and listen and learn from a genuine Nashville songwriter and see what they've been creating. But, you know, tell them something else you're thinking too is about food and what some of the local traditions that we must try. I want to steer people to places that are distinctively Nashville. And one category of those is, um, is called a meet and three. 
So oh. there's some there's some food historians who say that the term meat and three originated in Nashville. It's a plate lunch or a plate dinner with a meat and three vegetables. <laughs> and these are just down home meals like like anybody's grandmother used to cook. My one of my jokes is that um at a meat and three, the vegetables do not crunch. They <laughs> have been cooked. <laughs> <laughs> well, you 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 know that macaroni and cheese is a vegetable, don't you? Well, absolutely, it is. <laughs> and a double helping on my plate, please. Yes, yes, ma'am. But there are there are institutions in Nashville, like a place called Sweats, named for a family. Um, the Elliston Place Soda Shop has an excellent meat and three menu. There are four or five in town, and you can there there, there are many, many, but there are four or five. And you can get into a heated discussion about which is better than the other ones. Okay. And I, I, I don't engage. I offer up four or five in the book as examples. Now, Tom, how can we get a copy of your book? My publisher is Reedy Press, R-E-E-D-Y-P-R-E-S-S.com. Uh, it's available on Amazon as well. And if you get, get to Nashville and want one, uh, our visitor center has the book, uh, the Omni Hotel downtown, a wonderful little shop called the Peanut Shop in uh, a shopping area called the Arcade has it. If you're somewhere else, uh, Amazon or Reedy Press are the best ways to get it. Are you ready for Nashville? I say yes. And up next, we'll head over to the North Georgia Mountains with Karen Warren. So stay put. We'll be back in a few minutes here on Travel with Anita and Friends. The North Georgia Mountains has something for everyone, and not just hiking. Welcome back to Travel with Anita and Friends. Now let's head over to the North Georgia Mountains and see what else we can do. And our next guest, Karen Warren, who is a freelance journalist and the author of the book, 100 Things to Do in the North Georgia Mountains Before You Die. So you know she has a long list of things for us to do. And the North Georgia Mountains are the perfect place to have some family fun, maybe even a little solo time, or go with some of your travel buddies. So here's Karen to tell us all about it. So um, the book is broken into five categories. So you have food and drink, music and entertainment, culture and history, sports and recreation, and shopping and fashion. So there's a little bit of um, interesting things to do for people um, of all interests, all ages, all groups. Um, we try to cater it to people, whether you're traveling with your family, whether it's a couple's getaway, whether you're off to the mountains with your girlfriends. Um, we wanted to have something that was interesting for everybody um, to get out and see and do. A lot of the other books I've seen that touch on this region um, focus a lot on the outdoors, hiking and waterfall hikes and that sort of thing. And we wanted to put together a book that um, was more inclusive of what all there was to see and do in the area. Well, you bring up a good point. I, I agree with that. I think people think of North Georgia as, you know, just kind of the hiking, you know, with us being in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains and, you know, just doing things like that. But there, you're right. There's so many other things to do. Right. And that's one thing we try to do. You will find some tried and true popular favorites in the book. But I tried to include a lot of those hidden gems, too, that a lot of people don't know about. Um, so they could get out, maybe try some new things um, and go to some different places in the mountains that they haven't been to before. Well, tell us about them because I, I'm writing as you tell me this so that I can make a list. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what's a really fun one. 
Um, up in Morganton, there's a place called Tank Town USA where you can go and climb into an actual military tank and you can crush some cars. Yeah, it's a pretty um, interesting um, place up there. A lot of people love it. They also actually have some um, construction equipment, some dirt movers and stuff. So if you've ever wanted to play around with all that heavy equipment you see when people are building stuff, then you can do that too. That sounds fun. You know, you can get some of that uh, sort of that, uh, I guess, fantasy of driving those out in a safe way. Exactly right. It's a good, good way for you to indulge your um, childhood fantasies without hurting anybody. Absolutely. What else do you have on your list? Because that sounds fun. Yeah, that, I think that would be fun. Um, another thing is um, if people haven't been over to Rome, Georgia, um, which people don't think about Northwest Georgia being in the mountains, but it is. Um, a fun way to get to um, know that area is um, Georgia's Rome, which is the visitor center over there, has scavenger hunts that you can do that take you all around town to get to know the area and the history. So I think that's a great introduction to that area and that town. Um, and you get to um, team up with your friends and your family and you can see who gets the bragging rights for finding everything first. Oh, that sounds like a really fun thing to do, especially if you have family in town and maybe surprises or something too for the, for the winter. Yeah, they have some stuff. You take back your um, information back to the visitor center and they have something there for you when you um, complete the scavenger hunt. Okay, Karen, you got me putting that one on my list too. <laughs> What's another little known one? For the younger kids and people who love animals, um, there's a place called North Georgia Wildlife Safari Park. Um, some people may be familiar with the safari that they have down in um, south of Atlanta near LaGrange, but there's also one in North Georgia where you can come and um, see the animals and um, play with them. They actually have a... Um, a lot of great experiences that you can do, such as feeding alligators. Um, you can hold a baby kangaroo. You can hang out with a sloth. Um, and it's a lot of fun to um, get to know these animals and learn more about them. That's up in um, Cleveland, which is not far from Helen. Oh, yeah. So then you can get in Helen as well. But I love this idea of introducing children to some animals that they can actually touch and, and engage with without going to the zoo. Right. I think that's a great um, experience for everybody. Absolutely. But now you mentioned Helen and I'm sure you have it in your book. And that's one of the places where I know people like to go, especially, you know, around the holiday seasons, because there's all the decoration and activities going on. Yeah, there's a lot going on. So Helen right now is in the thick of their Oktoberfest. Um, it actually started at the beginning of September and it'll run all the way through the end of October. So they have a lot of activities going on over there um, right now for that. And then, of course, once Oktoberfest um, wraps up, then they will move into their holiday season, which, as you said, um, is a wonderful time to visit because they have a lot of great lights, a lot of decorations and a lot of activities going on. But speaking of activities, uh, what type of entertainment things can people do up in the mountains? So surprisingly, <clears throat> People don't know how much um, entertainment there is up here. There's a lot of great um, live music venues. Now, people will tell you you can come to the wineries and stuff for live music, but those are a little more um, sporadic, and they may tell off when the weather turns cooler. But if you go to McKaysville, there's a place called Toonies Music Venue that has live music every week. So oh. that's a great place to go. And also up in Hiawassee at the Georgia Mountain Fairgrounds, they have an active concert series that they run for most of the year. So those are two great places. Um, another great thing to do is to check out the community theater. 
Um, there's a great theater here in LJ with Gilmore Arts. There's another one with the Blue Ridge Community Theater up in Blue Ridge. And I'm just telling you, if you haven't visited your local community theater, you might be shocked and surprised at the wonderful productions they put on and the local talent right there in your own community. You don't have to always go to a big city like Atlanta to see a fantastic play or musical. That is so true, Karen. And also, too, now you're supporting, you know, your local communities as well. And those local entertainers who also need our support as well. If I'm going to do all of these things, I, I will want something to eat. Okay. Well, you know, everybody who comes to the mountains wants barbecue. Oh, yeah. So um, I picked my favorite place, to be honest with you, my book, my place. Um, so the Pink Pig and Cherry Log is where I like to go for good barbecue. Um, if you like good country cooking... Um, the Dillard House up in Dillard, Georgia, is the place to go. It's a family-style restaurant. The only thing you have to order is your drink. After that, they load your table up with so many good favorites like country fried steak and fried chicken and collard greens and corn on the cob and all that other good stuff you like to eat. Um, and then, of course, you can always go to, um, you back over in Helen, you were talking about, there's a place called um, Bodanese which is a very good German restaurant, um, which dives into the um, the history that they built there as far as an Alpine village. And it's really good. That's a great idea. So you get the total you know, experience when you go to Helen. I like that idea. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I really need to get your book and I'm sure the listeners are feeling the same way so that we have your book and we can check off <laughs> these, the 100 things as we, um, as we experience them. So how can we get your book, Karen? Okay, so it's at a lot of Barnes and Nobles locations around the metro Atlanta area. Um, you can also find it at your favorite online retailers. If you go to Facebook and search the book title, 100 Things to Do in the North Georgia Mountains Before You Die, you'll find my book page. You can actually order a copy of the book from me direct there. And the great thing about that is I personally sign every copy. Oh, great. That sounds really good. We like to have those uh, signed books by the author. <laughs> Yeah, I think it makes it more special. It absolutely does. But now I know that you are also a, a freelance writer. So do you have a website that we can check out some of your other writings? Um, yes. So I have a profile at um, Karen Warren. That's K-A-R-O-N-W-A-R-R-E-N.contently.com. Great, great, great. Yeah, so we'll go over there and check out some other things too. Because I know you're out there traveling and uh you know, wanting to get back to North Georgia mountains, I'm sure, but uh, exploring some other parts of the world. So thank you so much, Karen, for joining us today. Yes, I appreciate you having me on the show. Well, we appreciate you coming and uh, enlightening us to our own area for those of us who are in the in the North Georgia area. So thanks so much. All excellent information. And I can tell you because I'm a Georgia girl. I'm a Georgia peach. And Karen is telling us some great things to do. So definitely check it out. Go purchase her book and start checking off those 100 things to do before you die. That's in the North Georgia mountains. If you're a person who likes to combine travel and learning things, you know, I always say that we can go out there and we can find a lot of information about the things that we thought we already knew. Well, later in the show, I'm going to do just that when I talk with Kelsey from Road Scholars. But next up, I head over to North Carolina and talk with author Jason Fry, who will tell us all of the things that we can do in North Carolina. So sit tight. We'll be back in a few minutes. You'll travel with Anita and friends. Traveling can sometimes mean a disruption in your planning. But that's no problem. Alliance Travel Insurance is there to help. Check out their website at AllianceTravelInsurance.com.
here in the U.S., we have some states that are amazing for exploring, and North Carolina is one of those states. Welcome back to Travel with Anita and Friends. I've been talking about places you can go for the fall, but really this show is all about great destinations around the U.S. where you can go any time of the year, and North Carolina is one of my favorites. I've asked Jason Fry, an author of several books about North Carolina, to tell us where we should be going now. Here's Jason. North Carolina is a great place to travel. Um, it's an exciting place to travel. Fall's my favorite time of the year. Um, on the, on the coast in North Carolina, we've got 300 miles of it. Fall means shoulder season. So there's fewer crowds. You get the beach a little more to yourself. And as you said, uh, at the top, just a few hours away, we've got the mountains. So we can be in Great Smoky Mountains National Park looking at all that high elevation uh, color change and the last of the fall wildflowers and, you know, the next morning, wake up with sunrise on the coast. And I mean, that's fantastic. And all in between, there's so, so much to do. Um, as for some can't miss fall destinations, uh, I mean, man, I write this book about the Blue Ridge Parkway, and it's one of my favorite places. Um, the Blue Ridge Parkway stretches from Cherokee, North Carolina, almost 500 miles north to Waynesville, Virginia. And between there are hundreds of overlooks and places to stop for hiking trails or just scenic vistas. And of course, it's going through all this great high elevation. And at this time of year, those colors are popping at those top levels, starting to creep down the mountainsides. So you get these really incredible vistas. Um, people talk about the patchwork quilt, and it, it looks a lot like a patchwork quilt. But you've got to think of it with that little green hem around the side that you know your grandmother or your auntie would sew on to hold all those blocks in place. And so that's that's one of the ways that I visualize it. So the Blue Ridge Parkway, which I cover in my guidebook, Moon Blue Ridge Parkway Road Trip, um, that's a fantastic destination in fall. As you move a little bit east from the Blue Ridge Parkway, you get to North Carolina's Yadkin Valley. That's the first AVA, that's an American viticultural area uh, in the state, established in 2001. And there are 50 or more wineries right there in the Yadkin Valley area that stretches from Mount Airy and the North Carolina-Virginia border down to about Winston-Salem, North Carolina. So loads of wineries in that area. You also get some fall colors popping off there, but it's harvest time. So everybody is out working. The fields are energetic. You'll see some, some grape clusters that are ready to get picked. You'll see some vines that are, that are bare, uh, and you'll get this great wine. And then, of course, you move out to the coast, which, as I said, it's shoulder season. So we've got warm waters less crowds on the beach you don't have to wait in line two hours like you may in the summer to get a table to eat and man it just turns into a fantastic time to be here well it just sounds like i need a road trip you know and go from one area of north carolina to the next the wineries sound great oh yeah no it's it's amazing so north carolina was actually the leading producer of wine in the united states until the volstead act until Pro prohibition whenever prohibition was ended uh, North Carolina and a number of places in the South uh, retained some of their dry counties and uh, you know some tighter alcohol laws than states like New York or California, which now dominate the the North American New World wine market. But North Carolina, we've got close to three hundred vineyards and wineries here. Um, not all of them are produced or open to the public. Some of them, you know, just grow grapes to to sell to, to winemakers themselves and vin and vintners. But a lot of them do grow uh, estate wines. Um, Dynamis Estate Wines is absolutely fantastic. Shelton Vineyards, uh, the brothers, uh, the Shelton brothers were the ones who started the first uh, AVA in North Carolina. And now we have six. 
Um, their winery is great. Childress Winery, uh, owned by Richard Childress, the NASCAR um, of NASCAR fame. Uh, his winery is is excellent. Those they all specialize in French grapes, but we have Italian grapes too. Raffaldini is one of my favorites in the state, and you know they serve they grow, I think around a dozen varieties of uh, of strictly Italian wines. And a trip there is it's it's not like looking at North Carolina's Piedmont. It's more like looking at the Italian Piedmont. Oh, wow. From the long stretch of the view to the way that their tasting room is built to look like an old, like a, like an old Italian castle, uh, it's a it's a great experience. And I mean, those are just four, like I said, of fifty wineries uh, right there in that one region. A lot of them are open to families. They'll have food trucks. They'll have music. You know, they're open to the to the dog. A lot of them. Um, others are, you know, be better for you know, you go with your girlfriends. You go with your significant other. You know, you just go up to have a good time with your friends group. And they're not all concentrated just in the mountains. Um, one of the more interesting vineyards is uh, Sanctuary Vineyards, and it's near the Outer Banks. And you don't think about it for grapes, but they do a good job. Well, you know, speaking of Outer Banks, you know, I, I must, you know, kind of chime in with that because it is just something about the Outer Banks. When I go there, I just feel like I'm at home. I feel like I'm supposed to be there. Yeah, and you're right. It does feel comfortable. It feels homey there. Uh, they've they've managed to have some of those you know big beach amenities with you know the the, the oceanfront rentals and you know you can get the ski dues do all the stuff but it still has retained this small town family charm uh it's it's an amazing bouncing act that they've pulled off up there but now I want to talk a little bit about the Blue Ridge Parkway too because you mentioned that and I think sometimes people don't really know what that is the Blue Ridge Parkway is almost exclusively two lanes the only places it spreads out I believe are places where there's like a turn lane so you can hop on or hop off or you know pull off to get to a hiking trail or to an overlook um it stretches 469 I believe 0.4 miles uh from Cherokee up into Virginia and it was started in the 30s. It's one of the first real big National Parks Act pushes that we had. And it was designed and built and and conceived of as a way to preserve this early rural America. And mm -hmm. so as you travel along, you'll see a lot of old tobacco barns and buildings, barns, outbuildings, cabins. Um, the way they build fences and things along the Blue Ridge Parkway are respective of how they would build them in those different regions. And so as you travel, you'll see the, you know, the cabin architecture and that sort of pioneer architecture change. And it really tells a long story as you go travel along that route. But it follows the ridgeline of the Blue Ridge Mountains from North Carolina into Virginia or Virginia into North Carolina, depending on which way you're going. <laughs> and unlike a lot of national parks or segments you know, that things the national park system owns, you don't have to drive every mile of it to get uh, to get your fill of it, to get a taste of it. Uh, you know, I know you're down there in Georgia and from Atlanta, I believe it's about three and a half hours, just under three hours and 10 minutes or so. And you can be on the Blue Ridge Parkway um, and it's two lanes. It's 45 miles an hour. You roll down your windows and you just get to en enjoy nature and sort of take that yesteryear road trip, but with all the conveniences of Bluetooth and Spotify and your GPS. <laughs> I know you've written several books, not just one. Uh, so tell us a little bit about uh, your books and how we can grab those and really use those as our guidebooks. And so I've written Moon, North Carolina, which covers the whole state, mountains to coast, all of our cities, the Piedmont, wineries, hiking, museums, where to stay, all that. I've written uh, A Spotlight, 
on Asheville. It's a pullout guide, a smaller sort of a pocket-sized digest uh, specializing in Asheville, touching on the Blue Ridge Parkway and Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Um, I've written Moon Blue Ridge Parkway Road Trip, which actually that book is structured to be a two-week-long road trip from Washington, D.C., through Shenandoah National Park, onto the Blue Ridge Parkway, and then down to the Smokies and ultimately ending in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, I've also written a coastal guide, uh, Moon North Carolina Coast, and a guide to uh, Great Smoky Mountains National Park. So Moon Great Smoky Mountains National Park uh, really gets a little deeper into the hiking descriptions, uh, into the campgrounds and some of the amenities there in the park, and then those gateway towns like Cherokee and Bryson City, North Carolina, and uh, Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. And I have a new one coming up. I'm actually working, and this will be out next Christmas, so it's a little early plug, I guess. But I'm working on uh, Moon Top 100 U.S. National Parks hikes. And so I'm doing a deep dive into the best of our hikes that are out there. And these will be hikes for people of all ability levels. How can we get the books? Where can we go? Well, you can get them at any of your independent bookstores. Uh, they will generally carry them. If they don't, you can ask for the the Moon North Carolina or some of the Moon Travel Guide series. Um from your bookseller. You can also hit up those big box bookstores like your Barnes and Nobles or your Books A Million. Uh, and of course they are available on Amazon and through moon.com. It's time to head over to North Carolina. I'm ready. I'll stop here, but I'll be back in a few minutes. Go and travel with Anita and friends. the best things about travel is the opportunity to learn more about the things we thought we already knew. Welcome back to Travel with Anita and Friends. One of the things that I love to do is learn about history, about people, about the places that I go. And we can do that when we travel with companies like Road Scholar, which is through the years has offered a solid opportunity for education and travel to be combined. So I asked Kelsey Perry, from Road Scholars to come on and share with us how we can have a great experience any time of the year traveling with Road Scholars. Road Scholar, we work with local experts around the world and across the country to develop these program programs of ours that are really focused on learning. Road Scholar is a nonprofit organization. Not everybody knows that about us. Um, we have an educational mission. So everything we do is about learning. And that's the type of traveler that we attract is people who like to learn about learn when they're traveling. Um, and also we we really focus on a demographic over 50 for our programs. The average age of our participant is 72, but they really range that's in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. So um, we also just keep that audience in mind when we're designing our programs. Um, and we really, really like to think of ourselves as a, more of a university of the world rather than, than a travel company, really. So... But I, I like that. I've never thought about you guys like that, like a university on the road. Like you're like a travel university. Yeah, we're actually about to celebrate our 50th anniversary anniversary in 2025. So really exciting. We have a lot planned for that year. But we've been around since 1975. The organization was originally founded as Elder Hostel. So I hear a lot with our participants that they heard about us because their parents traveled with Elder Hostel. So it's really neat to see those those that second generation of travelers coming with us. Um, but when we started back in 1975, 
1975, it was really kind of a different model. It was um, taking uh, older adults to um, college campuses during the summer when they weren't being used, and they would stay in the dorms, and they would take classes in the lecture halls, and they would eat in the dining hall and everything like that. So it was really more of like a back-to-campus type experience when we started back in 1975. Uh, but we've we've evolved over the years to become an educational travel organization, um, which is really how we would identify ourselves now. And so people are staying, you know, in hotels rather than on in college dorms, which is good. I think that's an improvement. Um, but still, everything we do is about learning and uh, really has an academic feel to it. Um, and then we changed our name to Road Scholar in 2010 because Elder Hostel didn't really just feel like us anymore. So um, mm -hmm. that's been a big part of our evolution was that name change and that kind of brand identity change in 2010. What are some of the various ways that we can travel with Road Scholar? Do you have cruises, ground tours? What, what exactly uh, do you have? Yeah, we have, well, we have thousands of programs in almost 100 countries and 50 states. So all across the country, all around the world, we do have land programs and we call our cruises adventures afloat. So we have land programs and adventures afloat, um, you know, on oceans, on rivers, um, all over the place. And then uh, you know, we really have, because we have thousands of programs, they they really range in lots of other ways as well. So we really have something for everybody, whether, um, you know, you're looking at different activity levels, different de destinations, different price ranges. You can search on our website for what you want to learn about, what the topic is you want to learn about. And then we also have our grandparent and family programs, which um, the family programs are three generations. And then the grandparent programs, sometimes in the travel industry are called, referred to as skip gen. So that's the grandparent and then grandparent grandchild um, traveling together. And those are really special and unique. It's only about 7% of our programs are grand and family. So it's a small percentage, but really they have a really big impact on our participants. Um, and then we also have our Road Scholar um, at home programs, which is our virtual, our virtual programs that we developed during the pandemic. Oh, that's a great idea because sometimes uh, we can't always get out and travel. So that's great. That's really good. Mm -hmm. What about limited mobility? How does, uh, you know, how does that really kind of impact the service and the programs and things that you offer? So we're very familiar with being accommodating to different mobility challenges. Um, we do have a variety of activity levels from, you know, classroom learning to more active outdoor programs. So you can search and filter on our website um, by your activity level. So if you are someone who has mobility challenges, you can kind of read the descriptions of what the different levels look like and figure out which one is the best fit for you and try to stick within the programs that are in that activity level. Um, and we have different versions of different programs. So we might have, we have like a, we have a collection called um, at a slower pace. And so we might have, you know, we'll take our, some of our most popular and best programs. Like, you know, I know we, for sure we have one in Ireland. And so we have our, our general Ireland program. Then we have Ireland at a slower pace. And then we have Costa Rica and then we have Costa Rica at a slower pace. So we have a lot of different programs where there's different versions. If you do have mobility challenges. So um, we just ask if you do have any concerns or challenges, just give us a call and tell us specifically what your situation is and we'll be able to figure out the best fit for you. Um, now, how do you guys go about choosing your guides? Yeah, well, we, we refer to our, you know, our guides and group leaders as faculty um, because of our educational focus. So we kind of have, we have faculty, which is two, we have two different um, qualifications. There's the group leaders and then there's the instructors. The group leaders are with you for the entire week or the entire length of your trip. And those are the people who really focus on the 
handling the logistics. They are making sure that you're getting everywhere on time. They're making sure that, you know, everybody on the bus is counted. So nobody gets left behind. Um, they're ca just taking care of all those logistical details. Um, and those group leaders are also very often, you know, experts in the location where they live. They're local. So they're from the area. And then we have the instructors. Those are people that pop up throughout the, the trip in different places. It might be um, a local lobster fisherman who brings you on his boat and tells you about what it's like to live the life of a lobster lobsterman. Um, so there's different types of of instructors that we have that are that are local experts. Um, it might also be an academic professor who's has specialty in World War II history or something like that. But online learning, I mean, do you have some opportunities for people to go online to your website for online learning that are not necessarily taking a trip? Online learning is something that we'd wanted to do for a very long time. And then COVID happened and it kind of forced us to finally focus on something that we'd wanted to do for a very long time. And so we developed our first virtual lectures within two weeks of the shutdown in March 2020. So within two weeks, we had our first virtual lectures out there in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what we started with was one hour lectures. And we had uh, those going on a few times a week. And then we um, evolved that into our Adventures Online programs, which is multi-day programs where you are with the same, very similar, everything's meant designed to be as much like the in-person program for those as possible. So you have your group leader who's with you throughout the week. They'll, you know, do the introductions. They will lead discussions with the group, that kind of thing. They'll give lectures themselves. And then you'll also have these instructors that come in throughout the multi-day program who give specific specific lectures on specific topics. Um, and all of our virtual programming is meant to be, is designed to be interactive and live. So everything is live. We use Zoom meeting for those. So everybody has their cameras on or has the opportunity to have cameras on. So they're small group and everybody can ask questions um, live to the instructors. We have special discussions with the participants themselves and social hours so that people can get, can get to know each other and have those social interactions, which are so important on our in-person programs. Um, and you're learning from the same experts that you would in person. And they're also giving, you know, um, virtual field trips. So you can, they'll walk through Old Town Prague or something like that with their camera. But it's a offers a really great opportunity for people just cannot travel because of age or mobility restrictions. It allows you to have an opportunity to, to have a travel simulation to places like Antarctica or um, Easter Island, places that are really remote and really difficult to travel to or may, might be out of your price range. Um, so they really offer a great alternative to travel, but also a great supplement for those who do travel and still want to learn in between their trips. So it's it's they're really great for everybody. Yeah. You know, tell us about, about your website and just the ease of it, a little bit about it. And of course, you know what the website is. Yeah, so so our website is roadscholar.org, and that's R-O-A-D scholar. Don't confuse it with the Road Scholar program in Oxford. A lot of people get that mixed up. Um, but like I mentioned, we have thousands of programs in the U.S. and all around the world. So sometimes it can be hard to decide where to start. And so we have um, a really accessible, easy to use website. Like I said, we're keeping always keeping our demographic in mind and we want to make things easy for them online. So if you go to roadscholar.org and you click at the top, it says find an adventure. And that will take you to our search tool that you can um, use all the different filters to find the right program for you. So you can search by activity level, destination, what you want to learn about, what your date range is, lots of different things. Um, you know, for example, I know you're focusing here on programs uh, for the fall and the winter. 
we have over 300 different programs available between now and the end of April. And that's programs, not dates. There's multiple dates for each of those programs. So we have lots to choose from. Um, and like I said, sometimes it's just hard to know where to start. So it's great to use that filter tool to figure out, kind of narrow down what might be the best fit for you. And also, you know, we still do send catalogs. A lot of people still love to have, get that paper catalog in the mail and be able to just kind of page through and browse. So if you go to our website at roadscholar.org, you can click on catalog request at the top of the page and request to put in your information and request a paper catalog to be sent to you. So that's another option as well. Wow, what great information. Now you're all set for travel this fall and into the new year. Thanks for joining me today. I'll be back in two weeks with another great destination. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Travel with Anita. For more, log on to her website, travelwithanita with two ends.com and listen to her award-winning podcast, Quarter Miles Travel, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Anita will be back in two weeks with another exciting adventure for you and your travel buddies. So keep those passports updated and remember to always travel safe and travel smart. Right, Jack? Uh, uh, uh.